We looked at six behaviors, which are really key for being a manager. The first is setting a goal for their direct reports. Second was creating a development plan of what the employee needs to focus on to improve. Third was providing continuous feedback along the way. Fourth was checking in on progress on those goals and that feedback during one-on-ones. Fifth was actually sharing a performance review. Six was publicly recognizing their achievements. We found that every single one of those behaviors is related to an employee's motivation and retention. For example, the turnover of employees who have fortnightly one-on-ones is about a third compared to those who never have one-on-ones. That shows you how impactful these behaviors can be. Like these are the most basic things that anyone should be doing as a manager. Culture first. 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 I'm your host, Damon Klotz, and you are listening to Culture First, a podcast where you'll hear stories about why being intentional about your company culture can create a better world of work. Today on the Culture First podcast, we have a Fan favorite, Freesia Jackson is back. So Freesia, thanks so much for joining me once again on the podcast. Woo, excited to be here. So this is your third time on the show, which means that you have taken the top spot. You have, I think, you know, we've had a couple of Esther Perel episodes, a couple of Simon Sinek episodes. We have had Claude Silva on twice, but not even Coltramp CEO Didier Elzinger has beat you. So how do you feel now being the top podcast guest on this show now? I'd like to thank my mother. I'd like to thank, <laughs> it's truly an honor, like to be in the same list as all of those folks. So, wow. Yes. Feeling incredible. Thank you for having me again. So we're back to talk all things Data Lake. We have a new set of research that we want to be sharing with people, but it's been a little bit of time since we've last had you on the show. So I thought maybe we can start with what's new in the land of people science, data science, and the research team at CultureAmp. What have you and the team been up to that you'd like to share with listeners? Ah, I mean, there's so many things I could speak forever. So please cut me off. But the latest publications are one, the State of the Manager Report, which we'll be talking about today. Um, We also released seven charts that define the employee experience in 2023. And that looks at how engagement has changed and what's driving engagement. Uh, just a spoiler alert, it's leadership and learning and development. Also, our, our very small and mighty team has grown by hiring a data journalist. So we'll have even more juicy nuggets coming out to you, including a blog this week, Busting Myths About Gen Z Managers. And finally, on the docket is working on the 2024 DEI report. We're actually running our customer survey right now. So if you're a customer and you're listening, please take that survey. Um, What's really interesting about that is we're able to combine our employee experience data with the results from that survey to understand what actions actually impact the employee experience and, and help people prioritize and update their DEI strategies based on those results. So many amazing updates. A data journalist. Did you ever think that Culture Amp was going to have a data journalist when you think back when we joined several years ago, when we were just trying to support our customers every single day? And now we've got a data journalist looking at a data lake. This is just, this is amazing. I know. I didn't think that several years ago, although it's been a dream for about a year for me now. So it's nice to see that come to fruition. We just have so much latent data that someone can go in there and and write all these things that our, our customers and, and the world are interested in. So let's dive into the topic that we are going to be learning about today, which is this new report. So CultureAmp just completed a brand new study where we looked at feedback from over 1 million employees which analyzed 250,000 plus managers from 3,304 companies during the time period of July 2022 to 2023. So 
in my 15 year plus sort of history in the people and culture space, this is one of the most largest and comprehensive state of the manager reports that I've come across. So that's what we're diving into. Shall we get started? Let's do it. So as people who've listened to a few episodes would know, I usually like to start a lot of these early episodes with context. Like what is the right context that we need in order to digest the rest of the information that we're going to hear? And because this is one about data and research, you know, I think it's really important to get some of these definitions out of the way. More recently on the show, I feel like I've been doing a lot of episodes recently about managers and leadership and strategy and the role of managers with the episodes with Susan David and Adam Bryant. I also had a chance to interview Seth Godin recently and um, you know he speaks a lot about managers and leaders. So can we get your definition for the context of this episode about a manager versus a leader or and how people should maybe think about them when it comes to, I guess, understanding this research? Yeah, I think this is a really important question to start with because oftentimes people talk about like managers are the bad version and leaders are the good version. And that's not how I'm defining it today. So when I say manager, I mean the person who is managing performance and work of the employees directly under them. And leadership is about setting a vision and motivating all employees around that vision, whether they are the people directly under them or the people indirectly below them. And so with that definition, all leaders are also managers and everyone has a manager, which is someone that they are accountable to. So that's how I would define it. I would love to know how that jives with what other people have said in your recent podcast episodes. Yeah, I think one of the ways I've sort of seen it sort of described is, you know, Managers have tasks that they're trying to get employees to kind of like, look, here is my team, here is this unit, here is the thing that we are responsible for. As your manager, my job is to help communicate and clarify the task to be done and what do you need in order to get that task done. Where leadership, the way I've sort of heard it described more recently is what is the vision, the mission, the why, the how, what is the story that surrounds the task? So if the manager is saying like, here's the thing that we're deciding to do and my job is to say, how do I help you do it? Leadership and leaders who might not be your manager, but they might be someone who is basically setting the container around why is it this task? Why is it this moment? Why is it this goal? And yeah, I think there is a role for both. We, we need clarity on goals. We need clarity on the task to be done. But we also need to understand like why, why this, why, why this task at this moment, what are we going towards? So that's sort of, I guess, one of the true lines that I picked up recently. Yeah, I would agree with all of those points. And, and what I'll share today is that sometimes those two roles, which you just very eloquently elucidated the difference between, are at odds with each other because the more senior the manager, the more likely they're also to be a leader, but the less support they are getting to be good managers. Mm. All right. So this is our third episode on the data lake. We can study nearly anything about the modern day employee experience. Why did we decide to focus on managers? Yeah. So I think everyone who's listening on this podcast episode knows that managers are important, um, but I have some data to back that up. So there's kind of three key pieces. So first is that managers really impact the employee experience. So when an employee has a manager who's a great role model, they actually respond 27 points higher on our question around motivation. So that means that organizations are really getting the best out of their employees. And they're also getting that employee's expertise for longer because those employees are more likely to stay. They're 29% less likely to leave. Um, And also... I want to clarify because I think this is something that we talked about at Culture Amp a lot. Some people say people leave managers, not companies. We don't say that because we know there are things that are actually more important for retention, but that's a whole nother podcast episode. Um, But managers are still important for retention. 
Beyond the employee experience, it actually impacts the whole organization. So we just discussed the difference between managers versus leaders. And when we looked specifically at the management skills of senior leaders, so what we did was we measured um, their effectiveness using the manager effectiveness survey. We found that leaders who are great managers, that impacts the entire organization. So it actually cascades down beyond just their direct reports to all of the levels beneath them. And that company has higher ENPS scores, meaning that net promoter. So if employees would recommend the company, they have higher perceptions of leadership and they also have more company confidence. And that's important because we know those things are associated with a whole host of other business performance metrics. And so we talked about the employee experience, kind of the organizational experience. And then the most important piece is the culture that managers can be an incredible lever for changing an organization's culture. Because culture at its core is just habits. And we found that if a manager does something first, an employee is much more likely to also take that action or replicate that habit. So they're actually three times more likely to do one-on-ones if their manager does it first. And they're 20 times more likely to give continuous feedback, which I know is a habit that many organizations are trying to instill. So there were so many good things that were just dropped there. So I feel like if you need to like hit that little like rewind 15 second thing a couple of times just to go back into it, like definitely do it. And I think what this research, what this report has shown is is kind of like why this podcast is designed the way that it is. Because a lot of people think that this is like a podcast for HR leaders. Mm-hmm. A lot of HR people listen to this podcast. My kind of secret source that I've been trying to work on with this show for the last four years is that I want this to be the kind of show that any manager, any leader, someone who is responsible for either the task or setting a vision for how things are getting done for a unit of people can listen to this show and understand what's going on and understand the behaviours that really impact the people that are looking to them. And that's what this report is showing, like the the real benefits of investing in great managers and great leaders and some of, like you said, the challenges that people are sort of facing within these roles, but also the benefit of when we do. So, so much to dive into. There's going to be some people who are like, you just shared some really cool stats, but like, where did you get those? What got measured? So for the people who are really, really love the data and are like, you know, have been waiting for this third part of the data like episode to come out, what did we measure in order for these findings to come true? Yeah, I would say me too. I'm one of those people. So it was a lot of data. Um, We really wanted to get a true 360 view and you already shared how many, so I won't go into that, but over a quarter of a million managers. And the first thing we looked at was how managers respond to engagement surveys and how that compared to individual contributors. The next thing was we looked at what direct reports say about their managers, both in their engagement surveys, as well as in our manager effectiveness surveys, which is a way for direct reports to give feedback. Um, We also looked at leadership 360 results. So that was really useful because we could compare what managers say themselves versus their direct reports, their own manager and their peers. Um, Not as many companies run those. So we had over 120,000 responses there and almost 800 companies. And finally, we wanted to move beyond just the feedback to what their actual behavior was. So that's where we looked at how they use the Culture Amp platform and our products. And then what's even more important is connecting that to what the employee experience was and if they left afterwards to see did those actions actually impact the employee retention and their overall experience? So that's how we looked at all of this data to bring this report together. There are going to be people who are going to find these findings and be like, okay, I need to learn about what's happening with my managers. So if someone wants to run their own state of the manager report, if someone had like Freesia Jackson in their company on their shoulder, helping them run their own report, what should they be looking at if they actually want to learn about what's happening for managers inside of their company? 
I love this and they should do this. I'm all about doing your own research internally. And you never know if something applies to your organization until you actually um, test it. So the lowest hanging fruit is if you're already running an engagement survey, just make sure to add in a demographic showing if someone is a manager or an individual contributor so that you can easily compare the employee experience for both of those groups. I'm going to share a little bit later what you should expect there, but you can see how it compares to um, what we're seeing. The next is to make sure that you're incorporating upward feedback into your performance review process because you know how managers manage is important. If, if that's important to you, I think it should be important to you, then you really need to be incorporating that feedback from direct reports into performance reviews. And we found that one in 13 managers are given a glowing performance review while actually being rated in the bottom quartile of managers. So it's really an important data point that's often overlooked. And then finally, if you have capacity, if you have, you know, a leadership development team, then running a manager effectiveness survey can be really beneficial for identifying what development opportunities are really consistent across your managers. So you mentioned that there's all these sort of other ways that we can get feedback about managers, but one of the easiest ways is through this demographic filter on on the engagement survey. But I think you did raise a point that not as many companies are doing some of these other things like 360s. And I think it did remind me of the episode with Esther Perel when she sort of spoke about one of the true benefits of doing a 360 is that it allows managers and employees to not let their, their bias hit them straight away where it's like, well, so-and-so said that and like so-and-so doesn't know anything about my team. So I'm just going to like, you know, that feedback doesn't matter to me. So I think Mm -hmm. it is really important to look at all the different ways that we're sort of looking at some of this manager data because like you said, if someone has, you know, found a way (laughs) to get a really high performance rating yet the experience that their team is having doesn't show that then like that's a huge red flag where you're like look something's happening here where there is a leader who has found a way in the system and you know this is what happens at work we we all know about how these things can work at times you know that is a really important call out so I just wanted to kind of bring that to light saying that, that there's real benefit to doing some of these other types as well. And that's potentially a blind spot if you're not getting that feedback and you might be seeing that their team is performing but if they're performing, but they're not engaged or they're having a difficult experience with their manager, that performance is probably not sustainable. Definitely. So you mentioned that, like I said, one of the easiest ways to learn about some of this is to look at your engagement survey, look at the demographic filters of who's a manager and who's not. So what did we find from that type of research? Yeah, this the employee experience of managers, how does it differ? So it was kind of unsurprising. <laughs> Where they score higher is that we see that managers have special privileges. So they have access to additional information. Like they feel like they understand how pay and promotion decisions are made. They feel more psychologically safe. And they also feel like they're included in decision making. So those are all to be expected things that you would expect managers to be higher on. But all of this actually comes at a cost. They're very stressed. So we see that they're much more likely to say they have a large workload that they can't finish in their working hours. They don't have the ability to take breaks during the day. And their work is actually so overwhelming that they can't effectively switch off from work at the end of the day. So this doesn't really paint a nice picture of manager life. And I think this is why it's so important to start out with the experience of being a manager before we go into the feedback they received from their direct reports and from others so that we can understand why they might be behaving that way. I should know this about you because I've known you for several years, but are you a fan of Spider-Man? And there is a reason I'm asking this. Are you about to say with, with great power comes great responsibility? Oh my God, am I that easy to read? Yes, yes. <laughs> no, it's actually so funny that you said that because someone commented on one of my LinkedIn posts and I responded with that quote. So we're just on the same wavelength. Because when you were sharing that, I'm like, yeah, okay, you get access to more information. Yeah. You learn more about the system. You understand like how it can benefit you and also about the, the role that you play for helping your team, but also like the weight of it can feel like a lot as well. So how does that compare to what employees are saying about their managers? So, you know, what did we learn from some of this feedback? Like you said, 
over a quarter of a million managers that we sort of looked at, but also we also looked at a million plus data points of the employees and their experience with managers. So what did we learn from that? So not only a million plus data points, a million plus employees providing feedback to their managers. So much more than that. Oh, yeah. I don't have the exact number for you, but a lot more. Over a billion. Some big number. (laughs) Over a billion. Actually, so the most positive questions in the manager effectiveness survey were related to coping well with change and being resilient. So employees do see that their managers have a lot on their plate. They do see that great responsibility, um, but they think that they're handling it well. They don't see those like sleepless nights and the overwhelm that they're feeling. Instead, the questions that score lowest are all related to development. So three out of 10 employees say that their manager doesn't show an interest in their career aspiration and that they don't help them understand what growth opportunities exist within the company. Um, And it's important to note, I recognize that like that means seven out of 10 said that they do. So that's kind of good. But we find that in manager effectiveness surveys, actually, it scores quite high because employees are giving feedback directly to their managers. So even a small difference of like 70% is not that high in a manager effectiveness survey. And so I think this is where understanding a benchmark is, is really important. So I think one of the pivotal moments in someone's employee experience, especially not within one company, but in terms of our time within our career is stepping into a leadership role, stepping into a manager role, understanding, you know, that it changes to go from an IC where you know your task and what's happening. And then, you know, so what did we find when it comes to tenure of managers? Is there anything interesting about what happens early on in their tenure? Because I've got theories and assumptions about manager tenure, but I would love to kind of hear what you found when it comes to time in seat. Yeah, this was very important to me because this actually experienced, I experienced that this year. I became a manager for the first time. Um, And when we looked into this, we found that managers go through a huge growth spurt during the first two years of being a manager. And it's in relation to three areas. So one is understanding the team's work. So both from a technical perspective and also understanding the challenges that their team is facing. The second is comfort with change and confrontation. So their ability to cope with the changing environments, that goes from employees agreeing 77% of the time to 88% of the time, so quite a jump. Ensuring performance standards are maintained, so that's probably a confrontational discussion. And acting decisively. So in some ways, I think you can put those into the bucket of like general confidence in the role and what they need to do. And then the third is the ability to make sure their team members feel supported, valued, and motivated. And what's somewhat interesting is seeing that growth spurt after two years, that improvement completely plateaus. So this could be showing that You know, most manager trainings might be focused on new managers. And so those later managers just aren't getting additional growth and and development to improve. Or it could also be that, you know, kind of the excitement of being a new manager wears off and you think you know it all after two years. And just to clarify for people, you know, this is someone who is in a company and they've just become a manager. So we're, we're looking at them within their first two years. They might have been a manager somewhere else, but we're just looking at within the context of this company. Yes, very true. Good point to make. Yes, this is the tenure within the organization. So that's also interesting that just coming into an organization, if you're an experienced manager, you're seeing those same jumps. Because it's something that we see in all of our benchmark reports is, you know, and we see this in our personal life with relationships, the honeymoon period, you know, when something is new and fresh and you're excited and you're like, okay, this is great. And then Maybe after two years, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to be a manager for like, I've got to keep doing this. And like, <laughs> you know, so it like, it doesn't become as fresh and exciting. And like you said, so much of our corporate L&D budgets are really centered on new manager training, new manager experience. So it is unsurprising to me that there is that plateau after that two year mark. But this is showing that also that honeymoon period changes potentially how you you behave, right? Like we know that that changes how you feel about a company, but now we're also seeing that changes how you are acting to your direct reports or, you know, what you're doing in your day-to-day role as well. So this brings me to my next 
thought, which is an assumption, but now based on what I've just heard you share, I'm thinking my assumption might be wrong. So my assumption was that (laughs) having a manager who has a lot of tenure would be a good thing. And the way that I thought about that originally is that, you know, like you said, they have more power, Mm-hmm. greater responsibility, better understanding of organizational layout. They understand how decisions get made. They have an established network. Um, you know, we had Dr. Linda Hill, one of the top manager professors in the world, speak at Culture First Virtual this year. And she spoke about, you know, you got to know how to manage yourself, manage your team and manage your network. And the network piece really comes with tenure. So my original thought was tenure in a manager is a good thing, but if we're seeing all this burst of excitement from these fresh tenured managers, now I'm starting to rethink that. So Freja, <laughs> help me help me understand what's going on in my head right now. <laughs> well, I encourage everyone to look at the report because it's hard for me to describe the shape of what happens. But there's a big spike, a plateau, and then we actually see a decline for the most tenured managers. So in particular, they're scoring almost 10 plus percentage points lower than new managers in in three areas. So one is helping their direct reports follow through on innovative ideas. Two is communicating a motivating vision to their team. And the third is asking their direct reports about how they might solve problems instead of just unilaterally giving advice. So really not focusing on coaching. And so this could be because more tenured managers are like a little bit more stuck in their ways. Um, They might be a little jaded or they might just have more context of we tried that before and it, and it didn't work. So this is really a big opportunity for companies to focus in on those managers who are great assets because they're equipped with additional expertise. Um, They have those networks like you're talking about and really helping them focus on coaching instead of giving out advice of it used to work this way because it it might work differently now. We all fall prey to the longer we've been somewhere, if, if we've seen something, you know, our brain makes quick matches between like, hey, like it might be like the best thing I could do is actually have a development conversation with you and go like, why would you want to explore that? And like, what, what, you know, why would working on that project be really interesting to you where when we're trying to make quick decisions and, you know, we know about the economic uncertainty that so many companies have been operating where it's like quick decisions, let's not waste money. So if, if, if your brain's telling you it already doesn't work, it makes sense that you might tell your direct report, I'm sorry, that just doesn't make sense to work on as opposed to having a coaching conversation about it. That's true. That's true. So I think it's it's figuring out where those places where potentially you're cutting it short ahead of time because it didn't work in the past, but now the organizational culture has changed or, you know, there's someone in a role that wasn't in it before. So being open-minded, but I also agree with you that expertise can be a way to be more efficient. Perhaps those ideas really should not be worked on. <laughs> true. Yeah. But it's about how you frame it, which is which is funny. So for let's go behind the scenes of how we think about this podcast episode. This is the third time that you and I have looked at our data lake. And the role that I play is kind of like the curious coach where I, I've read the report. <laughs> I know Culture Amp's data. I would like to think I'm good at my job. So I know a lot of the answers to these questions, but like it would be a really boring podcast episode if I just told you everything I've already read in the report and you said, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yes, it's very kind of you that you let me play the expert. I appreciate (laughs) it. (laughs) So that's a really meta demonstration about manager and employee kind of relationships is that like you might already know the answer, but the best thing that you might need to do is to like ask a curious question to your team member so that they can actually go on that journey. I'm the employee in this situation. (laughs) We are just a couple of people on a podcast, Frasia. That is what is happening here. So we've spoken about the direct reports perception of their manager, which is pretty unanimous that they can improve in focusing on the direct reports development. We've seen development conversations, learning and development opportunities be consistent drivers of engagement on all of our benchmarks for over a decade. How is this comparing to what 
a manager's manager is telling them. And you kind of hinted at this earlier where there is a manager who is responsible for a team, but then they're also, they have someone managing them. And when we get into these people in the senior leadership roles, there can be some of these kind of conflicting conversations that are happening. So what are we seeing with this dynamic in the workplace? Yeah, this is where the 360 results were really useful. So when we looked at what a manager thought they should be focusing on, they said communication and influence was number one, number two is strategy, and number three was growing others. So that's probably like the development piece, right? So we wanted to find out where those other messages were coming from, and it is from the manager. So when we looked at the 360 results, we saw that communication and influence was the number one thing when it came to the manager's peers and strategy was selected as the top recommended focus area by the manager's own manager. And so this really shows that managers are are stuck in a bind between what their manager wants, which is really focusing on those leadership behaviors and what their direct reports desire, which is just to manage them and their development. And so this is a really difficult place to be in because they need to do what their manager says, right, in order to be promoted and also to rise up the ranks, you really need to focus on those leadership skills, but they also need to do what their direct reports want in order to get the work done and to be able to to hit those targets. Culture first means culture amp. I'm Didier Elzinger, co-founder and CEO. Together with thousands of customers around the globe, we're co-creating a better world of work. That means enabling leaders to drive their most impressive performance outcomes with real-time insights, data, and predictions. Our podcast is called Culture First because when you get culture right, your business succeeds at a rate never thought possible. Join us at cultureamp.com to see what it's all about. So managers do find themselves in in a bit of a bind here where it's like you said, you've got a team that you're trying to grow and develop and be responsible for and they turn to you, but then you're also, you have the flow down effect of decisions. And I think when you visualize a company, every manager has a manager has a manager and then even the CEO reports to a board. Mm -hmm. So it's like we get this trickle down kind of like way information that flows. So how are managers reacting to this bind? What are the behaviors that you're actually seeing? So we looked at six behaviors, which are really key for being a manager. The first is setting a goal for their direct reports. Second was creating a development plan of what the employee needs to focus on to improve. Third was providing continuous feedback along the way. Fourth was checking in on progress on those goals and that feedback during one-on-ones. Fifth was actually sharing a performance review. And the six was publicly recognizing their achievements. We found that every single one of those behaviors is related to an employee's motivation and retention. These are important to employee experience. But for example, the turnover of employees who have fortnightly one-on-ones is about a third compared to those who never have one-on-ones. So that just shows you how impactful these behaviors can be, even though they're such simple behaviors, right? Like these are the most basic things that anyone should be doing as a manager. Yeah. Like I feel like, so if we were to just take that little moment and go, if there's one thing that every manager who's listening can do is if you don't have a formal one-on-one program, you are missing the, the container and that repeated kind of system where those conversations take place. And I think that is really interesting because like you shared, okay, so setting a goal, you, you can do that, but it would really be useful if you were doing it in a structured one-on-one where you can then check in on that goal. Like you said, check in on progress during the one-on-ones. And one-on-ones are a great place to provide continuous feedback. You can also tie it to, you know, how are the current goals helping on the development plan, which is what's really interesting sharing a formal performance review and then you know publicly recognizing achievements. Now, I think every manager listening can look at that and go, I know how to do that. But if it happens in this sort of sporadic way and there's not a container of a one-on-one, the, my, my assumption is maybe the employee doesn't actually experience the same benefit of it because it's not really happening in a way where they can kind of see that progress. So 
that was a huge takeaway for me. It's like the container of the one-on-one is where those behaviors can actually take place. Definitely. Yeah. I see they all kind of feed into that and out of the one-on-one and also creates an environment where you feel comfortable asking your manager for feedback or giving feedback to have that personal relationship. But you asked like, (laughs) how is this impacted by the bind? And what we see is as managers go up the levels, they are less likely to do every single one of these basic managerial behaviors with their direct report. So for example, when it comes to setting goals, managers of frontline managers are 26% less likely to set goals with those managers than the frontline manager is to set them with their direct reports. And if we go up all the way to, let's say, the C-suite, looking at people who have five plus levels of direct reports below them, they're actually half as likely to set goals than frontline managers are to set them with their direct reports. I'm not sure if we're painting a good picture of the benefits of getting higher and higher up in an organization because these people get more stressed, their well-being decreases, and then (laughs) they start to lose some of the basic tenets of what being a manager looks like. So... Do you have thoughts on the quality of leadership as they're going through the ranks? What are we kind of seeing with some of these behaviors and how do we make it easier for some of these senior leaders to do some of these things? Yeah, so we looked at quality kind of a proxy for that, which was the number of words that managers use when giving feedback or when setting agendas for their one-on-ones. It's not the best one, but it is like the the first way that we could do it. And what we found is the decline is true not only for if they do the behavior, but also how they do the behavior. So if you are in the lucky few that are having a one-on-one with your manager and your higher up, for example, they're actually using fewer words. So for example, when giving public recognition, it was actually cut in half as you went higher up the levels. So are all these senior leaders around the world going to like concise communication courses or are they all using like editing tools that are telling them to like cut out these words? Like what's happening here? I mean, it is a good additional hypothesis that we can look at next time of like, maybe it's just as effective. Maybe they've figured out how to give effective feedback in 12 words. I don't know. Not that we have a sponsor for this show, but if there was one from one of these tools, it would be a really good place to have that plug, which is, you know, maybe that managers (laughs) are using way too many words. (laughs) I wasn't going to say it because they're not paying. uh, They're not paying for that plug. Um, But I personally use it. No, we're going to keep it in Grammarly. Reach out (laughs) if you want a sponsor or give me some free accounts. But It is interesting when we do look at some of this, which is, you know, some of these behaviors are declining, but also managers and senior leaders do learn how to be really concise. But that doesn't mean that like that's always what an employee wants or needs, right? Because great job is really different from great job because what you worked on during this moment was what the company needed. And he would like, you know, get into the descriptions and This is feedback that I've heard Adam Grant talk about a lot, but he's actually been talking about it a lot recently with his new book. You and I have done a lot of public speaking. It's really easy after an event or a conference or a keynote to go up and people like, oh, great job. And like, I heard him say this at our Culture First event back in 2018. And he's always like, I always go like, you know, what part was great? Mm. You know, tell me about the moment. Tell me like, which part did you find really interesting? And rather than go, you know, like looking for praise after a a public speaking gig, he would say, you know, which part do you think could have been better? And then they go, oh, actually the opening took really long. And I feel like people would have just really benefited from like hearing your research much easier because like X, Y, Z, Adam. So I think like just because you can be concise doesn't mean that you shouldn't really get descriptive about the impact someone's having. Yeah, I completely agree. And We're doing some research right now unrelated to this report where we've created this algorithm looking at if feedback is effective or not. And that includes, does it have the situation, the behavior, the impact, the exact skills? And we have looked at the length of a piece of feedback and the relationship with if it's considered effective. And there's a very strong correlation there that the longer it is, the more likely it's considered to be effective. There you go. So I'm getting a sneak peek into the the research roadmap here. So 
One of the, I think, big aha moments in our second episode together that we did was that we actually discussed magic numbers. You know, is there something that people should really be thinking about in terms of how often something should be happening? And one of the magic numbers we spoke about was how often should you be having a performance conversation each year? It is one of the most hotly discussed topics in the world of work. There is things happening in the media right now about companies who are throwing out performance reviews and how many they're having and all that kind of stuff. So, We've already spoken about that. Go check out part two if you want to go learn the magic number. So my new question for you is, and I've got assumptions and theories, <laughs> how, how many people should be reporting into a manager? And I think this happens a lot with restructures where you used to manage a team of six and then there is a reduction in force, there are layoffs, and either you go to a team of three or you've accidentally taken on a team of 14. Mm-hmm. So... What did we find in the context of that some of these people listening might be like, I used to have a really good team. I used to think I was doing a good job and now I've got all these extra people. So is there a magic number? Give us the dramatic reveal. <laughs> it depends. No. <laughs> <laughs> End of episode. It depends. That could be my answer to everything. But you're right. I think this is a really important question right now because I'm seeing so many organizations that are just slashing like a complete level and it's happening exactly as you said. So it's really hard to say an exact optimal number because that depends on so many factors like the experience level of the manager, which we already saw that changes wildly with how the employee experiences their manager with their tenure, how structured and how repetitive the role or the environment is. But what I can share is what our data shows. And I think it's often overlooked what the employee experience is when it comes to the number of direct reports. And what we see is as the number of direct reports increases, the employee experience kind of slowly decreases. And it appears that this is true not only for the direct report, but also the manager. Because when we look at the feedback that direct reports give to their managers in performance reviews, what we found was managers that are supporting nine plus direct reports are twice as likely to have the words stressed, burned out, included when talking about them compared to those that have only like one to three direct reports, which is probably too small of a span of control. But it just shows that that feeling of stress is exacerbated by the number of direct reports you have. To reference Spider-Man again, with great power comes great responsibility. I often think about like unintended consequences of people listening to this podcast. And I'm like, there might be someone listening right now going, okay, I'm changing teams. I'm looking for a manager in the first two years who's got about four people on a project that I like. And they're like, why do you want to change teams? He's like, can't tell you. I definitely haven't listened to a podcast episode that said I need newly tenured managers operating small lean teams. Yeah, just come work for me. (laughs) Uh, There might actually be a lot of people who listen to this and actually do want to do that. So you might accidentally be running a team of 12 soon, Freesia, and after two years... You're going to have a plateau just giving you a little bit of a heads up about what what, what might happen. Yeah, the plateau is coming, so watch out. But what's more is, is that you would think that companies would be supporting those managers that have that large group of direct reports. But what we found was actually the opposite. So the managers who were supporting the most number of direct reports were least likely to be supported by their managers. So they were least likely to be receiving feedback, to be having one-on-ones and to be having goals. (laughs) So I think that probably also just shows the like chaos in the organization that created that environment. Yeah, it's like that should be one of the most obvious things to look at and go, hey, like Susan has like 13 people on her team. (laughs) Is there anything we can do to better support Susan? And it's like, no, Susan's got it. She's clearly like fine. She's 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 13 people. She's one on one, so it's fine. (laughs) So, yeah, now we're going to have a whole bunch of people logging into the HRIS systems, analyzing who's who's got too many direct reports. So, this feels like uh, we're not bearing the lead with this question because I think it is a very important question, but we all want to work under high-performing managers. We want to, you know, people who aren't getting that kind of feedback that they're burnt out or they're stressed or that they're not running one-on-one. So 
what are high performing managers doing differently? And hopefully one of the unintended consequences is we can create more high performing managers by highlighting some of these behaviors. Yeah. So high performing managers are doing everything differently. So they're actually doing all of these at two to three times a higher rate than the underperforming managers. So I was expecting that like one behavior would like come out as like high performing managers really focus on this, but they're actually somehow they're finding the time to do all of them. So we can't tell you to pick one, but we can say to look at the six that we mentioned and look at those and go, can I increase the cadence of how often I'm, I'm doing these? And, you know, I think, like I said, one of the easiest things that you could try to do if you're not already doing it is making sure fortnightly or weekly one-on-ones, like if you don't have a system for how you're having these conversations, time gets busy, calendars get full, of course, things are going to slip. But if, when, once you have that, that regular cadence in place. You know, I, I love my one-on-ones with my manager. I think it's it's the place where I get to reflect and journal and think about what's happening. And I get to have a conversation about my experience at work, not just my experience at work, which is doing the task. Yeah. So let's land the plane here. Let's bring this home. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing something a little bit different, which is typically I say, thank you so much to the guest. And I say goodbye. And then I go away and I journal and I write about some of my like, takeaways, my behaviors, how to make your organization 10% better. We're doing it differently. We're doing it live with the guest because this is a special guest with our first three peeps guests. So if you work at a company of any size, chances are that you're an employee, you have a manager. And after listening to this episode, you probably have a lot of empathy for how hard it is to be a manager right now. We've talked a lot about the manager behaviors and managers got to increase this and do more of this and do more of this. Now, Let's flip it. If you're an employee who wants to better support your manager right now, do you have any advice? Yes. Yeah. Understand what they're on the hook for, right? So hopefully this has been illuminating and you're realizing that what you're asking of them is not what is being asked of them from above. And so really make that clear. Ask them things like, how is your success measured? How could I help you in helping you be successful on those things that you are being measured against. And you said that was a flip side, but I think there's even an additional flip side, which is how can you help your manager better support you? So if they aren't doing those six behaviors, you know, a good place to start is just asking for feedback. You know, you said that you like to journal about how can organizations be 10% better, but After a project completes, ask your manager, like, how could I have done that 10% better the next time? It's a great, easy question. Yeah. Like I think every employee listening could look at those six behaviors and go, now that I'm conscious of those, how do I bring those into my conversation with my manager? Let's not assume that every single manager in every organization is going to listen to this podcast and get it all right the first time. The employee can play a role in that. And just to share a little personal story quickly. Before I joined CultureAmp, I was at a multi-billion dollar ASX 100 company. So one of the largest, most valuable publicly listed companies in Australia. And it was my first real big corporate job. And I was really trying to understand what motivates my manager. She was very senior. And I was like, okay, one of the things that she has to go and report on is risk management. And she has to present to the board on risk. And my job was global head of digital strategy. And I was like, okay, if I just do all of my work, focus on the things that I find are interesting, all the stuff that I'm working on or whatnot, I'm actually missing one of the key things that she's reporting on, which is risk. Mm-hmm. So I was able to kind of put it, like think about that, put together a report. And then I found myself at age 24 <laughs> reporting to the board of this huge company. And I did the entire presentation on risk. And it would have been really easy for me to think about like all the things that I thought were fun and interesting and dynamic and all the new innovations and how I was helping this company understand emerging technology and the ways we were using storytelling and all these things. But I was like, they care about this thing. My boss is on the hook for this thing. And then they all walked away and said, let's double down on that. That's working really well. And it was just, that was one of the big reminders to me. It's like, yes, there's things that there's conversations you should be having about your own development, but also understand the structure and the system and how your work is perceived And it's not about, I guess, playing politics with it. It's just about understanding what are the main motivating factors for other people above you and how does your work roll into them and have a conversation about it. I love that example. 
Yes. I don't know how I worked that out at that age, but I was just making my job up as it was the wild west of working in the early days of how social media and technology was impacting the world of work. So final question. I would like to hope that senior leadership listening to this episode are going to walk away and go, we need to invest in supporting managers, whether it is the the person who's like managing a team of 13 people and like clearly needs help and support or just a better understanding in supporting managers of all ranges, you know, of people who've been there for less than two years, people who've been there for a while, people who are trying to understand the bind between manager and leader and the people who are caught in the middle. So do you have any final take-home advice about why companies need to be investing in managers right now? Yeah, Um you know, the economic climate is still a bit rocky right now. And most of the organizations that I'm speaking with are really trying to do more with less. They're wanting to make sure that employees thrive so that they can get the most out of them. It's it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And really, in short, investing in good management results in higher motivation, and greater organizational like business outcomes, as well as changing the culture within your organization in whatever direction you want it to go. So, you know, just to say those points again, 27% higher on motivation, 29% less likely to leave. You know, those are some of the, the data points that you can pull in. 20 times more likely to give continuous feedback. Use it all. Yeah, I get it. I've read the report, which I can now reveal to people, even though I was playing the curious coach throughout this conversation. (laughs) Yeah, this is, like I said, like I've worked in the people and culture space for 15 plus years. This is one of the most comprehensive reports in terms of both the numbers, but also the like specific behaviors that we're looking at going like, do these things, look at these things, have conversations about these things inside of your company. So any final thoughts or reflections as we wrap up your third episode on the Culture First podcast, Frasier? We need to figure out what a uh, word for four Pete is. Uh, I think the word might be four Pete. So we've got to, well, I think <laughs> what we've got to work out is what are we going to talk about next? So if you're listening on Spotify, and one of the things that you can do if you are listening on Spotify is there's a little box down the bottom and you can leave feedback or you can respond to questions. So at the bottom of this episode, I will put something saying, is there something that you would like us to look at in our data lake? Is there some research you would like us to look at? And uh, next year we can sort of get Frasier back on the podcast and do that. So yeah, give us the specific feedback. Yeah. Add in what can we do 10% better? Yeah, you know, less Spider-Man, more Spider-Man. Like just <laughs> give us feedback about what you want to hear. But Frasier, I have an absolute blast having this conversation with you. It's always really interesting for me to look at our own data and research, really dive into it and get curious about it and try to think about how am I seeing this play out in both other conversations I'm having, like you said, with other other thought leaders, but also some of the behaviors that I'm witnessing inside of companies in my own experience. So thank you to you. And um, do you want to give a quick shout out to everyone who worked on this report and where people can find out more information? Yes, a big shout out to Winnie Yip, Yunfei, Lisa Zhao, that was all the data analysis. Kelly Luck, Rachel Fenton, they helped on the content. Lily Tadar helped on the design. I know I'm forgetting someone, but it was a true, like, amazing effort to bring this together. And I'm so proud of how beautiful it turned out. Not only great insights, but just gorgeous. Yes. I will drop a link to the report in the show notes and on the Culturam website. So you can go to culturam.com slash podcast and find all of that there. Frasier, thank you so much once again. Thanks, Damon. I've been your host, Damon Klotz, and the Culture First podcast is brought to you by the team here at Culturam, the world's leading employee experience platform. You can learn more about Culturam by heading to culturam.com. We believe in creating a better world of work If that's important to you too, please subscribe and leave us a review to make sure that you don't miss a single episode as we build a community together where we share stories to inspire us all to create a better world of work.